0: Well, good morning. Hey, we're so glad each and every one of you is here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. Whether you're here with us in person or online, we're glad you are part of our gathering this morning. I want to welcome our first-time guest as well. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to connect with you. One of the easiest ways to do that is to fill out a connection card. You can do that in person here today, or you can go through our app or go through the website and fill that out. It's just our way of being able to connect with you and to follow up with you. And We also have a gift for you on your way out today, and that is a gift bag. And again, we're just glad to have you here with us as well as each and every one of you here today as we are continuing our teaching series called I Am. And I Am is really built around what Jesus would do in the Gospel of John as he would describe himself. And so these are self-describing statements that Jesus would share with those who were walking with him, those he was teaching, those he was even getting in debates with. And these statements reveal who he is and what he is about. It reveals the fact that God came in flesh and dwelt among us, but also what it means for our lives. The implications, the applications of what that does as we walk with Jesus and all that he has for us. A couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to connect with my dorm mom and dorm dad. In case you're wondering what that means. Dorm mom and dorm dad in the school that I graduated from called Clark Summit University, uh, they had dorm parents. And so these dorm parents were parents who would really uh, serve as those who would watch over those in the dorms, but also would serve in a spiritual realm and role as well and help to walk alongside those in the dorms. And so as I was able to connect with them, as well as people from our church, the Gospel family who graduated from that college as well, we got dinner together. And so here's a picture of all of us together. And, and this is a, a special time for us because it's been quite some time since I was able to get with uh, Roddy and Amy Hanna, and they're the ones on my far left here, right right next to us, Amy and I there. And as we were talking with them, one of the things that they were sharing with me was their life and leadership at the university, which again is called Clark Summit University and how over time he went from being a dorm dad and doing facilities to moving in to the area of student affairs. And one of the things that he wanted to do is he actually wanted to eradicate the rule book that they had there. Praise be to God, right? You know, that, those are good news. that's good news for everybody. And, and not that he didn't think that you should have boundary lines and discipline and, and all these things, but he wanted to move it away from these rules that were outside of the lines that would allow us to step into what Jesus says our life should be about. Really about loving God, loving people, uh, really walking in the fullness of what he has for us. And even when we slip up and make bad decisions, instead of saying, we're done with you, what's the path of restoration for you? Is there opportunity here? Is there opportunity for forgiveness to be given? Is there opportunity for growth to happen in your life. And as he's sharing this, I'm like, oh man, this is awesome, you know? And so he, was, he had been working on that many, many years ago, and, and now they follow this new way of doing things. But when they started this, it was so tempting for the staff and the faculty to be like, what does the rule book say? And he says, well, we're not letting the rule book actually lead us, the old rule book. We're, we're going in a new way, in a new direction. We're, we have a new lens in which we're looking at things. And that would drive them crazy, right? Because we get used to and we get accustomed to following these things, these ways in which we operate. And not that we don't need a way in which we operate. We just want to make sure it's the right way in which we're operating. That's not doing damage and choking out the life that we're intended for. Because it's very easy, even at a Christian college and university, to talk a lot about Jesus and grace and the gospel and the truth, but yet our hearts are far from his ways. Just like it was when Jesus walked the earth and he was dealing with religious leaders. It's tempting to do that. And so as they were getting used to this new way of life, it has totally changed the climate there. In fact, I have a niece that's there and she just really enjoys being there. It's life-giving. I have another friend who has just sent his son there. And it's just a different environment and a different experience. But when we set out on a course that's outside of the thing that has made sense to how we operate in life, it's disorienting. And when Jesus came, it was disorienting for people too. Because he was saying, there's a way in which life is intended to be lived. There's a way in which I'm calling you forward and that way is in me and it was so difficult for them. And I think it can be difficult for us as well. And as I left this time, which was a sweet, sweet time together, and we shared a lot of great stories together, I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis, and it says, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. And when you think about what he's saying, we all, whether it's in the church setting or a Christian college or culture at large, we all have a religion that we're holding on to. We all have a standard. We all have a way of life that we're embracing. And when someone steps out of line, the lines that we've set, we look down on them, right? We're, we're caught up in how they look outwardly, not looking at what's going inwardly. And what's really interesting is the standard that we use Against them, we don't use against ourselves. It's like saying to you, "You all have bad breath," but not realizing that I have bad breath as well. Right? Not that you do have bad breath this morning. You, you, you're, you're, you know, but morning breath, right? Like we all, we all have it, but it's like, no, but I don't, I don't have morning breath. My breath is great when I first wake up. Right? And we're like, no, that's not true. None of us do, but it's the same thing spiritually and with life as well. Where we could have this standard that then puts us above others, not realizing we're not the standard, ultimately. There's another standard. There's another way of life that we were intended and created for. And this is what drew uh, the, the line in the sand, so to speak, with Jesus and the religious leaders and many others. And as you look at John 8 and John 9 and John 10, you see them coming up against us again and again and again. Because Jesus' way of life wasn't confined to the way in which they had created the standard operating procedures. Instead, Jesus says, there's another way. I am the fulfillment of the law. I am, as we are gonna read through some of these statements today that he would say, but as we've seen already, he would say things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am that I am. I am the gate. He's saying all these things, and again, it would drive them crazy because he's after something more than just them abiding by a bunch of rules and keeping everybody in check. He has something more for each and every one of us, which really leads us to what we've been saying throughout this series. And it's simply this, that Jesus wants to awaken us to the more we are created for. Let's say that out loud on three, one, two, three. Jesus wants to awaken us to the more we are created for. He desires that. He wants to awaken us. He wants us to flourish in the way in which life is intended to be lived. He is the designer of life, and he is for you. And one of the hardest things for us to believe is that Jesus actually wants something for us. He doesn't necessarily just want something from us. He wants something for us. And when he asks something from us, it's actually for us. It's for our benefit And it's hard to believe that. It's hard to get our mind around that. It's difficult for us to embrace that because of the challenge that comes against the standard in which we've created or the standard that someone else has given us or the standard at culture at large or the standard even in Christian subculture. But Jesus is saying, no, I want to awaken you to the more. And so here's the question for us today. And it's simply this. How can we know Jesus is good and has good for us? How can we know that? How can we know that Jesus is good and has good for us? Because it's tempting to a- ask a question about, you know, who's good and who's loving and who's kind and who's, who's full of grace and truth. And the answer is always like Jesus. And you can't go wrong with that on a Sunday morning at church, right? You can't go wrong with an answer like that. But a lot of times it becomes an intellectual proposition, not somebody that we personally experience and encounter. And Jesus is much more than an intellectual proposition or a belief system. He's a person that has come near to us. He's God in flesh, and he comes near to each and every one of us. And so as we continue today, and as we continue to see how we look at how good he is and has good for us, we want to hear what he would say about himself. Again, we're going to continue where we left off last week in John 10. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John 10. We're going to start in verse 10, go through 11 here. And the verses are on the screen. We have free copies of the Bible as well. And just a reminder, this was written by one of Jesus' disciples, John. And so John is giving an account of what he heard and saw in the way and life of Jesus. And so what I want us to do is I actually want us to read these two verses out loud together, okay? And we're going to do that on three. One, two, three. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, so one of the things we don't want to miss in all of this is when Jesus is talking about the thief, the thief comes to kill steal and destroy, he's referring to the religious leaders of that day. How the religious leaders looked the part, but their hearts were far from God. They were about their own thing. They were all about accomplishing what they thought was for their own personal gain and advancement. And Jesus is saying they're thieves and robbers. That This is what they come to do. They come to steal and kill and destroy And then when you look at John 8, we also hear about another thief and another robber and his name is the father of lies. His name it means it's Satan and he's the one that lies to us and wants to lead us astray and it says that he's a murderer from the beginning. so he's anti us having life. These teachers were anti-life. they were anti-experiencing the fullness of life that we were intended and created for. But Jesus says, "I have come." To give what? What does he say? What? Say it again? What? Yeah, life. Life to what? Half half full? No, no, no. Abundantly, like overflowing. Like he's come to give us this type of life. This is found in who Jesus is. His person, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And it says that he is the good shepherd And unlike these thieves and robbers who take, 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 he was treated like a robber and a thief as he hung on the cross for you and for me. He laid down his life. He laid down his life willingly because he is the good shepherd. And this analogy of a shepherd is one who cares deeply for and walks with. And as we saw last week, they know his voice. They know his voice. And he calls them by name. He's like, hey, Larry. Hey, Frank. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brielle. Hey, John. Hey, Sam. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mark. He, he calls you by name. Chief, he's calling you by name. And he's caring for you. And he's walking with you. And he's leading you forward. And he lays down his life for the sheep, for us. He lays it down for us willingly and sacrificially. He does that for us. And it's really important as we think about this terminology of shepherd here that we don't forget that Jesus is a shepherd who is empathetic towards what it is that we're facing. It says of Jesus that he experienced everything that we experienced. So think about what it is you're going through right now. He's experienced it. And he was tempted in every way, it says, but he doesn't, didn't give in to the temptation, but he experienced what it is you're facing. And what does that mean? Well, that means that he's not just a great physician, which he is, but he's actually one who's experienced what you've experienced. So when he gives you a prescription for life or has something for your life, it's not done from a place of, hey, I have information about this. No, no, no. It's done from a place, I've actually experienced this. I come near to what it is you're facing. And that's good news for us because this is the kind of shepherd that we have. We have one that does not orphan us or abandon us, but comes very near to us. And it goes on to say this. It says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock, and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In other words, Jesus says, Hey, I want you to know the difference. There's these hired hands, there are these people who are hired out to help with the sheep, but as soon as they see a wolf come, what do they do? They run, right? They run, they, they abandon the flock, they leave the the flock. And it says that the wolves attack and, and the flock is scattered. And it says that they, the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. He cares nothing for the sheep. They don't, they don't care about what it is that's going on, what it is that they're facing. Because when the wolf is coming, they say, wow, this is above my pay grade. I didn't sign up for this, Right? This gig is only worth $15 an hour. I'm out of here, right? Whatever, whatever it is, right? They're like, there's a difference, right, from someone who's fully vested and has ownership and stewardship of versus someone who's just hired, a hired hand. And Jesus says very clearly, there's a difference between what I come to do and what the hired hand comes to do. So as we think about this and his goodness of who he is and the good that he has for us, I want to give you this As we start off our time, the first is this, that Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He's a good shepherd, and he lays down his life for you and for me, willingly. And we're gonna see him talk more about that in just a minute. But here's the next part of this. What are the wolves you are facing in your life? I want you to be thinking with me this morning, Because if we're honest, we read a passage like that, and we're like, okay, a hired hand, I get it. But some of you came in this morning, there's wolves that you're facing. The wolf of unemployment, the wolf of anxiety, the wolf of addiction, the wolf of betrayal, the wolf of abandonment. What's the wolf that you're facing right now? What is it that you came in with this morning? That you're like, wow, I'm being overrun. In this moment in my life, And I feel like I'm trying to take on this wolf myself or I'm running for my life away from the wolf, right? However you want to do it, right? Because we all have those responses. The wolf of financial debt. What's your wolf right now? What's the wolf of a diagnosis that you've received? And you're like, man, I don't know what to do with this. The wolf of what's going on with your children. And you're overwhelmed and you're burdened and you're brokenhearted. What's the wolf you're facing right now in your life? And you know when you look at a wolf uh, for, uh, from a distance, they look really beautiful, right? They're like, "Oh man, that wolf looks really, really beautiful. I like the color of their their fur and their eyes. Oh wow!" But you know what? When you get closer and closer to a wolf, what happens? Do they jump in your lap and start licking you? No, that's not what happens, right? <laughs> they're saying say like, "Hey, you know, whoa, 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 what are you doing here?" Like they they start growling, right? They got their fangs out. They're they're ready. They're ready to go at you. They're ready to pounce you. And you know, in life, it's like that as well. Those wolves come at us, and we're not sure what to do with them and what to do in the middle of them. And so here's an uh, important thing for us to think about. Jesus is one who comes near to us with whatever we're facing, but also when the wolves come, he's the one that can actually do something with the wolf. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And I was given this one time to remind me of the shepherd that I am. And I'm reminded of how Jesus, just in a real way, when the wolves come our way, he's like, all right, you want some of this? Right? Whatever. I, I don't know how they would do it, but they, you know, I'm just imagining, right? He's taken on these wolves. He's not afraid of the wolves. And so here's the next part of this for us in our own lives. Do you live your life for one who runs at the side of wolves or the one who runs towards the wolves? In other words, who are you living your life for? Are you living for Jesus who comes near to you and runs towards the wolves? Or do you live for somebody else, including yourself, who when the wolves come, they're nowhere to be found. They're the hired hands in life. They may look like a shepherd, right? They got the gear, you know? (laughs) They got maybe a staff. They got the lingo down. But when you look at their lives up close and you see difficulties come, all of a sudden you look around and they're nowhere to be found. Who are you living your life for? Who are you building your life around? Because Jesus is one, when the wolves come, he stands with you. He's the one that leads you through. He's the one that gives you what you need. He's the one that is making a way when there seems like no way at all. It's him. As we continue on here this morning, it says this in John 10, starting in verse 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Again, you hear him say it once again, I am the good shepherd. And to know is to experience. It's not just I intellectually have information about you, but it's this ongoing communion with God where I'm hearing from God, he's hearing from me. They know me. They know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I I don't want you to miss this intimacy that he's inviting us into, this dance that's so beautiful, this ongoing relationship that he has for each and every one of us through the finished work of what he would accomplish for us. He lays down his life willingly. No one takes his life from him. And I don't want you to miss that because Jesus doing this demonstrates his great love for us, but also through his life, death, and burial, it would lead to what we would see in his resurrection. But Jesus also says something that I don't want us to miss because as we think about in the church terminology of a good shepherd, we often stop here where we say, hey, he's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. But he also says something else. He says that there are people there are other sheep that are not yet of this pen. They're not here yet. In other words, he's speaking of non-Jewish people. He's saying, I have a heart for those who are far from me, and I'm going to pursue them, and I'm going to make a way for them to be a part of this. And this is beautiful to think about. He says, I must bring them also. And it reminds me of Luke 15, where Jesus leaves, or he talks about the parable about the shepherd who left the 99 for the one. And so Jesus does this for each and every one of us. He makes a way, and he's inviting others to come in. And his invitation is exclusive, but I want you to hear how warm it is because he's pursuing a prodigal people, you and me, and he's making a way. And he says, they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And this is good news and great joy that it was spoken of, When Jesus came to the earth, what he would come to accomplish for us, what the nation of Israel was intended to be, a light to the Gentiles, pointing to the one true God. He always has his heart on those who are found and those who are lost. And may we be a people like that. Will we care for those who are found? Yes, we should. We're part of the body of Christ. But we never lose our heart for those who are far from God. Because Jesus has a heart for those who are far from him and desires for them to encounter and experience his love, his purposes for their life. So as we think about this and as we think about the goodness of God, Jesus is the shepherd who knows us and wants us to know him. So he knows us and he wants us to know him. And again, just to remind you, this is about this ongoing relationship with God. This is about this relational connection with him. And so here's a question for you as we think about this. Do you know his voice? Do you know his voice? And there's something powerful about when you see and hear a familiar voice, right? We see a familiar face and hear a familiar voice. You know, yesterday I was at the Da Vinci Science Center with my son. And that place can get crazy. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it can get kind of crazy. There's a lot of people there. A lot of people there. And when, I, when I'm out there with my son... Oftentimes, he'll be out playing and, and he, he loses me. Like, he loses me. But I know exactly where he's at. I, I have my eyes on him. I have my attention on him. I know where he's at. And you can tell when he's like looking for me, the anxiety is rising. I can just tell. And so I come closer to him and I pursue him and I say, Hey, Ray. Hey, Ray. I was looking all over for you. He does all this. You know? But there's this r- relief in a familiar face in a voice. Because Ray knows my face and he knows my voice. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Do you know the voice of Jesus? Are you familiar with it? And I want to give us some ways in which we can get to know his voice. Because I think it's really important that we think about that. Here's the first one. I want to encourage us to befriend silence. Say that with me. Befriend silence. And so here's what is important that we recognize in our Culture, silence is a difficult thing. And for some of us, we're so addicted to being stimulated. The idea of being silent and still before God, we're like, what's the purpose of it? Well, the purpose of it is for Him to go do some work in our interior. And so, in that, we're inviting Him, say, Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. Will you speak? Will you speak? And so, what I want to encourage you to do, this comes from Tyler Stanton who wrote this book, uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. All right? This is from his book. And so what he encourages you to do is to start with two minutes of silence a day. And just to be still before God. Just to be still. Put your phone away, set a timer, and then all the preceding weeks, add another two minutes. All right? And then keep adding another two minutes. And really the, the goal is less about, hey, what am I accomplishing, but rather what's God trying to accomplish in me? And so what I thought we could do this morning, if you're up for it, you're up for a little experiment this morning? I thought we could try two minutes of silence this morning. And we're not done with the message, by the way. This isn't the ending of it. In case you're like, okay, this is a weird way to end. But I, what I want you to do is I want you to just put your phone away for a minute. And I'm going to set my timer. Do you trust me that I'm going to do two minutes? Here we go. I'm going to do two minutes. And what I want you to do is just listen. Listen and be quiet and be still for two minutes. Okay? And I'll tell you when I'm setting it. On your mark, get set, go. Great job, guys. Great job. Give yourself a round of applause. Nice job. Silence. And I want you just to think about it. Even how that changes. Just you, how hard it can be. And it's okay if it's hard. It's a muscle that we're developing and growing. But it's an ancient practice that's really life-giving to be still and to be silent. Be still and to be silent. The second one is this, personalize God's word. It's tempting to read scripture in a way that again becomes an intellectual proposition, but not a personal pursuit of me and an application in my own life. So as we think about even what we're reading today, and, and this was, actually comes from a good friend of mine, John Cope. It just often reminds me as we're praying together and we're, we're discerning what God's saying to us is, okay, so what, what truth are you going to apply scripturally to combat the lie that it's tempting to live in belief? So here's one for us. You know, the wolves in life are coming. And we got to take on the wolf ourselves and we're alone and we're abandoned and no one cares about what I'm experiencing and going through. And we have declared already, that's not true in the name of Jesus, right? But the truth of the scripture, we could say something like this, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to apply to my life this truth, Jesus, that you, according to John 10, 11, are my good shepherd. You are the good shepherd of Robin. You are the good shepherd of Matt. You are the good shepherd of Ed. You are the good shepherd of Bethan. You are the good shepherd of Jason. You are my good shepherd. Do you notice a difference when we go from you are a good shepherd, which is true, he is, but he's my good shepherd. He wants to shepherd me in what it is that I'm facing and what I'm going through. And the the choice for us is to declare that and to walk in that and to believe that and to write it down somewhere where we see it and visualize it. So maybe put it on a note card. Maybe put it on a sticky note. Maybe put it in a place that we're going to see it on a regular basis. Maybe we're going to take a screenshot on our phone. But we're just personalizing God's word. And here's the next part of this. Surround yourself with other sheep. Say with me. Yeah, all right. So as you look around, I don't want us to miss this. Because there are other sheep here and we need other sheep as we follow the shepherd because sheep left by themselves is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. They don't have good eyesight. They're not the smartest animal. Some would even call them straight up dumb. You know? But really the idea is that we need community. We need one another. And I, I came across this video where a sheep fell through a, a crack. He just fell through a crack in, in the, the ground and this, this boy was helping him out. And so the sheep then runs by himself only to fall in another crack. And you know, I think it's a picture of our lives. We need one another because when the sheep are together and following the shepherd, they're aware of what they can't see on their own. And we need the voice of the shepherd, but we need the voice of one another. We need each other to carry the joys and the sorrows and the burdens of life. We're not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to do that. And one of the greatest gifts we give to each other is to allow others' access to our lives, to what it is that we're facing. The right people, trusted friends, trusted allies, but we cannot do life alone. We're not built that way. We're not built that way. And when we walk in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it allows us then to run after him together. But may we be people who understand the power of that, to allow others in. And this is why we provide opportunities through groups this meetup that we're doing for the young professionals, we're trying to provide avenues and opportunities for connection because we know we need one another in order to discern and hear his voice. People will lovingly come alongside us and say things that we need to hear that may be hard for us to hear. And when we're bewildered or confused to have people to go to, I don't know what to make of this. This is what I'm receiving from this. And it may not be a true message about what God says of himself or you. Or it may be something that God is trying to deepen in you. But we need others to help us to do that. But that takes trust and courage. That takes following the shepherd and letting him lead us through it. So I want to invite you to be thinking about it. Again, these three ways are ways in which we can hear his voice and get to know it even better. Here's the next part, though, that Jesus says, and I want you to not miss this. Jesus is a shepherd who loves whose love leads him to look for the lost sheep. And we mentioned this before, but I don't want you to miss this part that we play in it because sheep were so valuable in this context and they were valuable not just because they were beautiful animals, right? But sheep are valuable because of what they would produce for the shepherd. And so what are some of the things the sheep would produce for the sheep? What do you think? Wool, all right, what else? Milk, what else? Other sheep, right? There's multiplication going on here, right? And so Jesus doesn't want us to, to miss this because when, when a, a, a sheep wasn't sheared and just kept getting more and more and more wool on them and eating more and more and more, they were eating more and more, what would happen to them? Do you know? They would maybe eventually die, but before that happens, I like how you took it to there, Sam. But before that, though, they, they actually fall over. They, they, they're cast. That's the word, cast. And once they're cast and they fall over, it's difficult for them to get back up. And you know, in our lives, as we follow the great shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus, we're meant to be a people who, as we are informed by who Christ is and being formed by his ways and being transformed in our lives, it's meant to lead to multiplication. It's out of the outcome of, who he is and what he's doing in us that we follow him. And so I want you to be thinking about this in your own life. Here's a question for you as we consider this. What are the three people, who are three people Jesus asking you to pursue with his love? Do you have people who would be considered not in his sheep pen, to use Jesus' language, who are far from God? Are there people in your life that he loves so much He's made a way for them, and he's inviting them into a right relationship with him. But he wants to use you as a vehicle for his love to go to them. And your job isn't to convert anybody. Your job isn't uh, to convince them. Your job is to serve like Jesus and to share with them what Jesus has done for them as God opens the doors and opportunities. And you may be surprised, but there are opportunities all around you. We just have to have eyes to see them and to look for them. I'll, I'll, never, I'll, I'll never get over the fact that when I'm at a restaurant and I ask our server, I just ask them a simple question. And I did this recently. I just say, hey, we're actually about to pray for our food. I wanna know, is there anything that we could be praying for you about? We'd like to ask anybody that waits on us that question. And I gotta tell you, every time I ask it, there's only been probably one time where someone's like, I don't have anything, but you can just pray, pray for world peace. That's what they, that they said. Okay, we can pray for that. But it opens the door for conversation, and they're like, wow, that was so kind of you even to ask me that question. It, didn't, it doesn't feel intrusive. You know, and then even this Friday, actually, was, I was waiting to meet with my brother, and I was at his restaurant. And as I'm there, someone who works for him started to talk to me, and they were talking me about some difficulties that they're having, in their family and, and their relationships with the family. And, and I just was, as I was praying for this conversation, I just said, you know, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Jesus is Jesus had difficulty with his family too. Like he understands, he gets what it is that you're facing and going through. He, get, he gets family drama. He gets it. And then she started talking about, you know, yeah, you know, it would be great if we could somehow know God, but I don't feel like there's a way to know God because we're all broken and this world's broken. I'm like, well, actually there is a way to know God. And we just started talking about Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus made a way to you and to me, even though at times most of us don't want anything to do with him. And he knows that we can't earn our way to him but he's made a way and he loves you and he cares for you and he cares about what it is that you're going through. And then it moved into conversations about crystals and the power of crystals. And, and I said, Hey, you know, you said about Jesus, he's the light of the world. He's a light that shines in the darkness. You know, he's, he's bright. He's brighter than even crystals. And she's like, okay. I said, well, I'll be praying for you. And then that conversation ended just like that. But it was cool. She wasn't offended. We just had an interaction like that. You know, there are people all around you though who are dying. They're starving for someone to listen to them. They're hungry. They're alone. There's a lot that people are facing right now. But who are those three people? And are you praying for them? And are you being purposeful with your life in response to Jesus, the good shepherd, pursuing you but also pursuing those who are not of this sheep pen? Well, it continues on here. And there's the last part of these verses in John 10. It says this, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Again, I want you to hear this. Jesus says, the Father loves me and I love him. And out of response for that, I lay down my life only to take it up again. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. He says, I do this of my own accord. I I do this of my own accord. And this command I've received from my father, I, I do. And then it goes on to say this The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Again. They don't know what to do with Jesus. What are you doing with Jesus? What's your response to who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished? They were divided amongst themselves with who this Jesus is. And as we think about this, here's a couple other things I want to give to you this morning. His life laid down will lead to his life lifted up and resurrection power. I want you to hear this. Death is not the end of Jesus. The resurrection, him appearing to over 500 witnesses. This is the resurrection power that's actually at work in us for those who are followers of Christ. The same power, it says that Paul would say, that rose Christ from the dead is at work in you. That same power is in you. Christ, the hope of glory, is in you. And so I want you to not miss this because there's power that we need that we don't have in our own accord, but it's available through the finished work of Jesus and by the Spirit at work in us resurrection power. So here's a question for you. What power are you plugging into? What power are you plugged into? What's the source that you're putting your life on? And that's why we go back to the voice and listening to the voice of God, because we want to hear his voice. We need what he has for us. And so as we think about, again, what I said early on today, as we think about his goodness towards us, how much he cares for us, Again, I want you not to miss this because he's one that wants us to know him and he wants wants us to know that he desires to know us as well. And there's ways in which he's made that available to, to us through what he's accomplished, but also, as we mentioned, befriending silence, personalizing God's word, running with one another, coming after the purposes in which he's created us for. We aren't to exist for ourselves alone, but to care deeply for the things that God cares about. And so as we think about this, I want to close out by reading a very famous psalm, and many of you guys know this, and it goes with what we're talking about, Jesus being the good shepherd. And In fact, I want to invite you to stand and read this with me. We're going to read this out loud together. It's only six verses, okay? And we're going to read this together, uh, starting in verse one. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures.